in February, after a year and a half of studying the Bible together, Paulo, my neighbor, my friend, my personal trainer down at the gym on the main avenue of our neighborhood, was baptized. Even before the day of his baptism, and more so even since, Paulo has adopted a slogan, a saying. I see him nearly every day. Vicky and I go to the gym and work out. Paulo and I study at times Friday nights late, Saturday mornings early. We're together Sunday evenings for our worship service. And hardly a day goes by that Paulo doesn't say to me, to the congregation, to his friends and family, to his students at the gym, this slogan has become his byword. And I will tell you, he lives by it. And using that slogan of his, he reminds the rest of us, Christian and non-Christian, what it's all about. What is it that he says all the time? This is it. Nothing profound. Nothing awe-inspiring in terms of its expression. But this is it. He always says, I just want to go to heaven. You see, Paul came from a religion that teaches what is popularly called the health and wealth gospel. A lot of people in Brazil, a lot of people in the United States, a lot of people the world over seek out a church for better health, better relationships, and better financial status. They're after health and wealth. And the pastors are happy to preach that to people who are seeking it. But Paul knows better. He has since learned that in the New Testament there is not a single promise in this life for health or wealth. Open your Bible, if you will, please, to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. We're going to read the last three verses of this letter of Paul to the Christians in Rome. And we're going to take off of Paul's slogan and emphasize this morning one of the great and wonderful facts of God's Word about eternity. That all of this flows from the eternal God. That eternity is, let us say, the space which God inhabits. And we will see 
how many things in Scripture are called eternal things and how humans can possess and enjoy the eternity of God. Romans chapter 16. Paul ends this letter to the Romans. The theme of this book is salvation and righteousness and justification by God of human beings. He's planning on going to Rome. He hopes to leave a blessing with the Romans. And at the same time, he hopes to receive a blessing from them through financial help so that he can go to Rome and preach the gospel there where he's never been before. And so apparently he writes this letter to make sure, not only to prepare his coming to Rome, but to make sure that everybody is on the same page. Let's talk about what the gospel is. And listen to how Paul ends this letter. It's what theologians like. They like these big words. And they've invented the word doxology to describe how Paul ends this letter. A doxology is nothing more than a wonderful, yes, emotional and perceptive exclamation of praise to God for who He is and for what He has done and continues to do. Listen to what he says here. Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to Him who is able to establish you by My Gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey Him. Or the phrase is, literally, the obedience of faith. Verse 27, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. You could have said amen too. Wouldn't have hurt you any at all. Can you say that? Amen? Amen. Yeah, Arkansans say amen. Brazilians say amen. Paul ends this letter with a doxology, with an exclamation of praise for a reason. He surveys all that God has done, the eternal God, in His eternal plan, and all that God continues to do through the preaching of the Gospel And he is left amazed. And so he finds it most appropriate to end in a statement of glorious praise to God. Let's think about this idea of the eternal God that Paul mentions here. The Bible is very clear that there is God and there is not God. God is the eternal one. There are declarations throughout all of the Bible that God is eternal or everlasting. I was 
gratified to see that in the reading today of Isaiah chapter 40, I think it was verse 27 or 28, there was the phrase, the everlasting God. And the chapter tells us what? What God is doing and will do for those whom He chooses. It's not a static existence, but a dynamic being. A dynamic being that is working in this world and in people and in you if you have chosen to follow Jesus. A working that is active and powerful. In Brazil, we teach people, one of the very first studies that I do with people, and I was talking to my oldest son, Micah, this morning, who's hoping to study with a Brazilian friend of his who just kind of appeared out of nowhere in a congregation in Huntsville, Alabama. The very first study that I do with people is about God's Word. That first of all, that Word is our authority, is our model. That's where we get our information. We must speak where the Bible speaks. But not only is that Word our authority, that Word is our power for transformation and for service and for ministry. How many people do I teach who see what God offers and who also see what God demands and they think, I can't do this. And do you know what I tell them? Of course you can't. Because you're looking at your own resources, your own power, you're looking at your own capability, and you are not able to live the Christian life. And that's where God gives us His great power through His Word. So this Word is not only authority, this Word is power. Genesis 1 and verse 3 is the very first verse that I study with just about anybody. I have several studies that we have put together over the years. But my favorite is to, is to start in Genesis 1 and verse 3. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. That powerful Word that created Light and the entire world and the entire universe and the human being with a word is the same word that we have in our hands, the Bible. In one instance, it is the spoken word. Here it is the written word, but it is the same word of God and it is the same power that God gives us to create, that He creates the world and the universe and that He creates in us a new creature that we might become like His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we might live holy as He is holy. God is eternal. It's all over the Bible from beginning to end. And perhaps one of the most interesting passages that declares the eternity of God is in Exodus chapter 3, when God calls Moses to go free the people of Israel. And Moses makes all of those excuses, like we often do today, for not doing the will of God and not sharing the gospel with other people. Well, somebody might ask me a question that I can't answer. What if they ask me, who is this God? What is His name? I don't, I don't know what to say. 
And God said, here's the answer for you, Moses. You are going to go and tell them that I am sent you. That is God's name. In our Bibles, the older versions translate it with Jehovah. That's almost certainly not the word. The pronunciation was lost in history because the Jews took very seriously that commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain. So when they came to the Bible and they saw the name of God, instead of reading that, Hebrew doesn't have, uh, doesn't have vowels. It only has consonants. So they would insert in the place of the name of God the word Lord. And often when they were speaking, instead of, instead of talking about God, they would say the heavens. So that is why the Gospel of Matthew, when Mark will say the kingdom of God, Matthew will say the kingdom of heaven. Because he was a Jew speaking to Jews who had this tremendous respect. But what does the word mean? It means I am. I exist. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. One of our Brazilian Bible versions translated the name of God as the Eternal One. And that's probably a pretty good translation. In Revelation, God is called, as is Jesus, the One who was, who is, and who will be. So not only is God the Father eternal, Jesus the Son is eternal. And Hebrews will call the Holy Spirit also the eternal Spirit. There is God who is eternal, who does not have any beginning, who will not have any end, who exists now and has always existed, was never at any point created, never at any point did not exist, but everything else besides Him had a beginning point. Just as you and I had a beginning point. What exactly is eternity? We think of eternity in terms of time. We live in time. We know how fast time flies. And the older you get, you young people, pay attention to this because you don't feel it yet. But I'm going to give you about ten years. And then you're going to wake up one day and say, how did I get to be 30 years old? Just yesterday, I was 15. And when you get to be like me next week, 62, you're going to look back and say, how is it that I have five grandkids? I don't even remember when my children got married. How did I get here so fast? We feel the passing of time. So when we think of eternity, we think of infinite time. And that's all right. Eternity will have no end. But eternity is more than infinite time. Because the evil people will also exist forever in everlasting torment. Look at Matthew 25 at the end of that parable. So what of what does eternity consist? It consists of for the Christian, sharing the life of God. Maybe it was John's commentary. Maybe he made an insert in John chapter 17 when Jesus was 
praying that prayer for himself and for his disciples and for all who would later come to believe in him, which includes even us. And in verse 3, John tells us what eternal life consists of. That they may know you, the Father, God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the essence, the very essence of eternal life. And God occupies, if, if we can't talk in time, let's talk in terms of space. God occupies this space, this moment, which is eternity. Some time ago, I'm already doing, uh, I, I showed the uh, class this morning one of the books that we published this year called The Greatest Subjects of the Bible. And I'm already working on a second edition and adding some subjects to that. And one of the subjects, and in fact I'm using the outline that's going in this book this morning, is going to be about eternity. And so I went through the Bible and looked up the things that are called eternal. And I have a list of about 14 or 15. It's not all of them, but the ones I thought would be most interesting for people who are going to consult this book. And here's what I came up with. I'm just going to read them off to you because we don't have time to go into all of them. What are eternal things? They are eternal, remember, because they are connected to God. The gospel, the divine plan, salvation and redemption, life. That's the biggest one, probably that occurs in Scripture, especially in the Gospel of John and in his letters. Joy. Divine love. The covenant of Christ. Glory. Consolation or comfort. A place to live or a home, a house. Inheritance. Judgment, interestingly enough, because judgment leads to Eternal judgments that have eternal consequences. Punishment. Fire. Destruction. Kingdom. All of these are called eternal in the Bible. And they are called eternal because, because God gives them a beginning point, but He gives them an eternal duration, if we can call it that. Now, how can we participate in this eternal life, in these good eternal things that God gives to us? First of all, we need to recognize Ecclesians chapter, Ecclesians, Ecclesiastes. I'm preaching off of a Portuguese outline here, so I'm translating as I go. And I preached this last Sunday in Brazil before we came here. So if I get into saying something in Portuguese that doesn't make sense, you can raise your hand, wave at me, and I'll know that I've gone off the rails here. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. The writer there says that God has put eternity in the human heart. What does that mean? God has created us to live in a relationship with Him, the eternal God. And that relationship has the potential, if we are faithful, of being eternal. We desire things. We long after something that is greater than this world. And that is why 
These religions, churches, that offer the health and wealth gospel are so wrong-headed because everything here that you see, everything here that you possess, everything here that you might hold dear is going to perish. So that is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, where are you going to put your treasure? On earth? I live in a tropical country. And one of the hardest things I have, I love books. I have thousands of books. Well, I'm downsizing now. I've done a home office this past year, so I'm having to get rid of all kinds of material and books and and things so it all fit in my new home office. But I love books. I always go to McKay's in Nashville, which is like one of the largest used bookstores that there is. And I went this time and I didn't buy a thing. Aren't you proud of me? But one of the hardest things for me is to keep my books in good shape. Because down there, I rented an office for 17 years and never had air conditioning. And so sometimes I'll go to pull out a book and it's kind of like, ew, it has mildew since I picked it up the last time. Especially in the rainy season. And I've gone in and picked up a book on, on the lot next to me where I used to have my office. It was a guy who had wood piled up in big piles up against the wall. So I had all these bugs. And sometimes I would pull out a book. I have a Greek lexicon that cost me an arm and a leg. And I pulled it out to use it one day and there was a bug hole all the way through the book. I love my books. But it doesn't matter what we love in this world. Somebody may steal it. The bugs are going to eat it up. It's going to mildew and you're going to have to throw it out. And what do people that are kind of my age and a little bit onward having to do? We have to move sometimes and we have to downsize. We have to get rid of things. My mother says she's not going to do that. She's going to stay right where she is. She says, I've got all these closets full of stuff. I've got all these shelves that are just full of stuff. She says, I don't have the energy to get rid of all that stuff. She says, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to die and y'all can take care of it. Well, that's one way of doing it. You know the old joke, right? Used to. When you would have a funeral, you would buy a nice suit. Maybe it was because I don't know, here in Arkansas, way back when, a lot of the old guys didn't have suits or something. I don't know. So you would buy a suit for your loved one who had passed away and bury them in that suit instead of their own clothes, pretty much as we do today. And everybody says, I don't know, I've never seen it. I've never stuck my hand in a coffin to check it out. But they say that those suits that you buy from the funeral home, have no pockets. Because a person who is dead is going to take nothing with them. There were two guys at the funeral of a rich man. And they were standing kind of back in the corner during visitation. And one guy turned to the other and he said, How much do you think he left, reckon? And the other guy turned and said, I think he probably left it all. Whether we're rich 
where we're poor. We're going to leave it all. What will we take with us? Vicky and I used to go to movies. We don't much anymore. And we go see all these Superman movies. Do you remember? Some of you might remember that movie, uh, Independence Day, where they saved the world. Or The Incredibles, that first movie where it opens up and Mr. Incredible says something to the effect, he's kind of in an interview there before the movie really gets started. And he says, you know, I have to save the world so many times. It's kind of like, you know, cleaning up a house. I just got through saving the world. Why can't you keep it saved? And a lot of times I would come out of those movies, the more realistic ones, and I would think, wow, yeah, I know it's fiction, but here's the thing about saving the world. What have I done in my life? Well, like Mr. Incredible, you may save the world today. Somebody may keep the world from from a nuclear holocaust at some point. But do you know what? You can save this world as many times as you want to save, but one day, this world, this universe, is going to be burned up. And here's what I know. When I invest in my children to teach them about eternity with God, when I teach a soul that is lost and has no hope of eternal life, and that person becomes a Christian, I know that I have saved someone for an eternity. And doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that cause you to give thanks to God, an exclamation of praise, a doxology in, in which you are so moved because you know that not only are you saved, but God has given you the grace of participating in this wonderful, great, eternal project so that you can be a part of helping someone else enter eternity with, for life with God. There is nothing equal to any effort in this world that can compare to that. God created us with a place for eternity in our hearts. Now, sometimes we try to to fill that void with all sorts of things. With pleasure. With possessions. With power. But in the end, we will find ourselves frustrated because nothing can fill it except God Himself, the eternal God. The thing about it is that God permits us to choose. We can choose in this life what our eternal destiny will be. Hebrews 9 and verse 27, you know what this verse says? It is destined for man to die one time, just like Jesus died one time to save the world. And after this, the judgment. There will be no second chances. This thing called reincarnation is a farce. It's a false doctrine. We have right now, we have this morning. We're here, I don't even know what day it is in August. We've come and we've been in part of a wedding. We've traveled over several states and and I have to go here and find to see what day is it? This is August the 18th. Am I right? Is that right? This is August the 18th on a Sunday. Do you know what? What? How much time you have 
to decide for God. You have this moment, Sunday, August 18th, and you have absolutely no guarantee of this afternoon, of this evening, of tomorrow. At every moment, God is calling us to choose our eternal destination. And He so much desires that we choose well, that we choose His Son, that we choose His life. God is good. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, You are good. And what you do, one version says, all that you do is good. Conclusion? Teach me your statutes. I want to know your word. I want to receive your salvation. Because if God is eternal, Paul says He is also wise and He is also good, and there can be absolutely no doubt about the goodness of God. Well, then why does God let suffering go on and on? Yeah, there are some paradoxes in Scripture and in life, but there are some answers too. Have you suffered in your life? I have too. Sometimes it's been my own fault. Sometimes it's been the fault of other people. Have you ever been persecuted? Maybe you have. Have people ever talked badly about you for being a child of God? Yeah, I've had that. Why does God let that happen? It's not because He's not good. It's not because He's not powerful enough to overcome evil in this world. It's because because God still wants to give us a choice. And choice means that all that has to be a, a possibility when we choose wrong. So it is actually a demonstration of God's love and goodness that He lets all this stuff go on because He is being patient, Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3. He is being patient so that we will choose the good way. so that this short time that we have here on earth, that just keeps going faster and faster, so that we can look at this time and choose God's way, and so that we can breathe our last breath and go to be with Him in eternity. I so much appreciate Paul, my neighbor and friend and personal trainer. He's one of the most enthusiastic, zealous people I've ever met in my life. He's been a great encouragement to me. I tell him that. I don't think he really believes it. But he has. And his slogan, his phrase, his saying, helps me and helps the entire church and helps his family and his everybody around him focus on one single thing. I just want to go to heaven. What about you? We can help you take that first step or any step in the process, wherever you may be. We'd like to help you do that. We invite you to walk it with us. Because God is eternal. God is good. God is wise. God is loving. And in the end, isn't that where we want to be? 
Please come as together we stand and sing.